0: Welcome to the Zeno Podcast. I'm Carly. I'm Jackson. We're really grateful for all of our listeners, so thank you for tuning in. This week we talked about some religious topics, so we just wanted to go over some of the terminology that we use before we get into the episode. So the first one is the church. Um, We go to a church school. It's The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, We go to BYU-Hawaii. So when we say the church, we typically mean the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So there's that.
1: Also known as Mormons. Yeah. More common term. Yes. Also, we say ministering, home teaching, and visiting teaching. So as a part of our church, the church, (laughs) (laughs) people go out in groups, and initially this practice, it would involve like pairs of men or pairs of women going out and teaching to other men or other women right so but now ministering it's a thing that has changed and now it is a
0: both it's It's like a
1: co-ed yeah so basically it's just going out and teaching and helping the other members of the church right with whatever they need
0: yeah we also mentioned branches and wards that can be confusing because they mean two different things in different ways um So a ward is a group of people that usually live in the same location or like a a boundary, and they attend church at a certain time together.
1: It's the same thing as a church session in other
0: churches. Precisely. So branches would be multiple wards, um, stakes. I don't know if we say that in the episode, but that's multiple wards as well. General conference is a bi-yearly session where the leaders of our church talk to Uh, Just us, just regular people. And anybody can tune in. They're bi-yearly. They're televised. so
1: Yeah, so they're broadcast out to everybody. That's why it's called General, the General Conference of the Church. Lastly, we talk about ordinances. And those are basically just practices that take place either in the church or in temples. Yes.
0: So one of those ordinances would be baptisms for the dead, which might sound scary for anyone just tuning in that's not Mormon, but it's an ordinance that's performed by proxy. So you can get baptized for someone who is dead so that they might have that ordinance after they die. So that can get confusing. Also, an endowment is the same thing. It's it's just an ordinance that we do in the temple. So... Um, And if you have any other questions, please go to LDS.org or Google um, Mormon.org as well is pretty good about answering questions. So thanks. And without further ado, here's Dr. Martins. Welcome to the Zeno Podcast, where we talk about how we shape stories and how they shape us. Today, we've got Dr. Martinez with us today.
1: Dr. Martins is an Associate Dean and a Professor of Religion and Leadership at BYU-Hawaii. Hmm. How are you doing today?
2: So far, so good. Let's
1: see the questions. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Get right into it. Yeah. Jumping right in there. So, our general topic that we were talking about is the way that the church has found ways to stay modern and progressive. And I guess the first thing I'd like to talk about is an article that you wrote about a little bit ago about technology in the church. So what were your main findings from that article?
2: Well that article uh, takes us back to uh, the late 1990s when um, we had barely started really Uh, using the the internet Uh, there was a there was no Google you know to speak of at the time no social media or anything Uh, but as a former systems analyst I could see that there was something in the use of technology that was going to be really revolutionary and so this was 20 years ago this was actually um, um, not just a paper, but it was uh, a speech that I gave uh, in Rexburg, Idaho, and I was, from my perspective, not only as a um, religion professor, but also as, as a former, um, uh, you know, uh, technology uh, professional, and uh, I was looking at some of the potential. For the future use of technology in furthering the mission of the church. And so I gave wings to my imagination, and I imagined, that oh, yeah, you know, we could have, uh, you know, in the future, uh, missionaries not even having to leave their homes yeah. and actually contacting people. And in, remember, in those days, the only thing we had was email. But I, I was saying, look, you know, we could envision having missionaries contacting people, even teaching lessons without leaving their homes. I also talked about, uh, 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 you know, the idea that, sort of, you know, in the future, instead of knocking on people's doors, we could have missionaries knocking on their satellite dishes <laughs> or computer screens. So yeah. that was, you know, uh, if you read the paper today, it's kind of, a, yeah, you know, some of these things yeah already happened, others, well... You probably had too much for breakfast that day, but no. <laughs> uh, but that was it, you know. Uh, in the beginning of that uh, digital revolution, or what came to be known as a digital revolution, was looking at the future and saying, okay, here are some possibilities.
0: And do you think that our church, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, by the way, we just started calling it the church, but just for anybody who doesn't know, do you think that the church stays up on this and that's what keeps it so modern? Or do you think it like could use some improvements? Uh,
2: let's first, uh, you know, address the, the this uh, word modern, okay, or the notion of modernity. Depending on who you ask, there are all kinds of definitions there. Um, but if we, if we look at the word modern or modernity, as simply the idea of uh, utilizing um, cutting edge technology to further the mission of the church then we can say that the church will always stay on the cutting edge uh, of technology sometimes it may take a little while in fact uh, the church's adoption of uh, uh, the internet took a little while mm-hmm. if you look back in the uh, in the day in the early 90s uh, we did not have a presence uh, online yeah. and um, and slowly uh, but surely we started to and today we can say that the church is really a powerhouse um, uh, it, it really became consolidated when um, family Search mm-hmm. came around with the website family Search came around that we saw the church pouring in, enormous resources uh, behind that. And now we look at the church website, and it is a source of all kinds of information, training. Uh, and uh, So whatever comes next, uh, we, we can say that uh, the first presence of the corner of the 12 apostles will always look at ways of utilizing those future technologies to further the work of the kingdom, uh, the work of salvation around the world. Uh, In fact, on that paper in 1998, I addressed the notion that uh, the day might come when uh, we could have uh, people who uh, never set foot in a meeting house. And we will provide, uh, uh, using future technology, we will provide Uh, ministering and uh, instruction to them Um, I even venture to take that into temple ordinances I don't see why in the future we could not have our meeting houses uh, say on one evening a week our stake centers perhaps uh, become extensions of the temple just like it happens on temple dedications on broadcasts of dedicatory sessions of uh, some of our temples, and we can have um, uh, the uh, the endowment ceremony broadcast encrypted signal to stake centers say that they are too far away from some of our temples. We still have quite a number of them in places, in areas in the world where it is uh, very costly for people to go, so yeah, this is just, as I said, giving wings to my imagination here, but saying these are things that uh, can be uh, seen as uh, possibilities for the future, based on the idea that, uh, yeah, the, the church, in order to further its mission, in order to implement its mission, we will always use cutting-edge technology. So yeah, it will always be on the forefront of whatever yeah. modern technology offers.
1: So the idea behind having a digital session a digital award would be that you would somehow like log into the session like and then you would hear the speakers from that basically like a broadcast
2: uh yeah if you imagine a separate meeting for people who live in faraway places yes you could imagine something like that uh, perhaps even uh now that 3d is available uh even the virtual uh, you know with a with a, with a virtual <laughs> yeah. image of the person being in a congregation. Now, these notions for us are laughable right now right. in 2018. But who knows, in 2028 or 2038, where we could have people who live, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles away from the nearest meeting house, and yet they want to participate in the worship services, and, and there will be a lot of uh, Uh, issues uh, uh, around this, uh, including, for example, the administration of the sacrament. I don't know how that would be worked out, but the idea that we could offer a Sunday school class or a fireside that way, well, we are already doing that. And so uh, I don't see why in the future, in some way, shape or form, we could have virtual branches of the church where people in different places in the world, you know, according to certain time zones, they would be able to come together and receive instruction, gospel instruction, perhaps a Sunday school or a Relief Society lesson or an Elder's squadron lesson uh, that way without having to leave their homes because they live too far away. It's a possibility. Whether it's going to happen or not, we don't know. <laughs> but it, anything is possible, really.
0: Yeah. I had a question. Do you think that... Ordinances like baptisms for the dead or like the sacrament could be done virtually, like if you're not in the same room? Uh, or...
2: At the moment, I don't I, I don't see how, mm-hmm. but who knows the future? Because but at the required. moment, I don't see how because it is required yeah. the presence of the officiator and the person who is the recipient of mm-hmm. the ordinance. Um, and uh, I, I would leave that question to be addressed uh, 15, <laughs> yeah. 20, 25 years okay. uh, from now, because who knows what uh, will be available by then?
1: Right. Yeah. Have you ever worn those virtual reality goggles?
2: Yeah, I did. <laughs> it was a little dizzying, but yeah. uh, I did. And uh, 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 you know, I uh, okay. Okay. Let's take the sacrament for example. Okay. Okay. Let's take the sacrament for example um would it be would it be impossible for people who would be attending a virtual second meeting to have a piece of bread and a little glass of water in front of their television or com- computer monitor or whatever? Televisions are computers nowadays, yeah, anyway. I
0: mean, everything's the same. And That's then mean. have a
2: priest of the holder remotely uh, bless the bread and the water. Is proximity to the priest of the holder what's necessary or just the proper authority, yeah. regardless of distance? I don't have an answer for that question, but mm-hmm. you can see there's a, you know. We cannot say that it is impossible. No. Now, whether it's feasible or acceptable, it's not up to, uh, to me to 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 state, but we cannot say that would be impossible. And for us, some of us may frown at the day Oh, no, no, you have to be there, okay. <laughs> well, let's see how people 25 years from now are gonna feel about it.
0: Well, I was just thinking about people that are homebound that we would take sacrament to anyway if they could do that themselves. Well,
2: not just homebound, but yeah. far away.
0: Yeah, yeah, far away.
2: Really far away, hundreds of miles away from the nearest meeting house. That would facilitate uh, the ability to, nour- to not only minister, but also spiritually nourish these individuals with uh, the ordinance, but yeah. who knows?
1: Well, okay. whenever people watch general conference and they're not actually at the place. I know that whenever somebody says a prayer, everybody in the room will say amen. So it's kind of like the same idea. It's like we we still have, you know, they're still saying a prayer. We still acknowledge that.
2: Well, you see, uh, uh, here's where the precedent lies. Uh, Traditionally, uh, at the end of uh, our general conferences, uh, the president of the church or one of his counselors will pronounce an apostolic blessing upon the congregation. Not only those who are physically present at the conference center, but those who are also watching the proceedings. And that's where we would take then uh, that as a, look, you know, here seems to be a window of opportunity for something like a virtual sacrament meeting. So yeah, it would not be that much different than that apostolic blessing that is being pronounced over the airwaves. So who knows? Who knows? The 21st century barely started, okay? 21st century barely started. (laughs) Uh, You know, for people around 100 years ago, the idea of having temple ordinances, uh, especially the endowment, uh, the ordinance that constituted the endowment, Uh, presented in the form of a motion picture probably was out of the question until the 1950s came and President David O. McKay uh, then called Brother Gordon B. Hinckley, who was the uh, manager and only employee in the church audiovisual department and said, Brother Hinckley, we need uh, to to get this done. (laughs) and uh, we need to standardize the, the presentation of the endowment. We're going to have uh, temples outside of the United States, and we need uniformity. And we're here to say, well, the, Brother Hinckley then said, well, you know, the way to do this is to put in a motion picture. That was probably a notion that was considered radical at the time. Yeah. Today, it's no big deal. In no. fact, uh, 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 I think we have been tremendously blessed by that. In the sense that uh, by having movies we have a richness of detail that uh, perhaps the presentation, even live presentation as we still have in the Salt Lake Temple and the Manti Temple uh, would not provide. And not only that richness, but that uniformity as well. So looking at that, imagine in say 15, 20 years when they decided, okay, we need a new version of the uh endowment narrative and we're gonna do that in 3d in virtual reality 3d <laughs> that'd be so, you're looking that'd around be tight. you're looking around exactly things awesome. that right now that's like, yeah we look at the presentation in 2d and we have a richness of detail. Now, imagine your grandchildren, say, for example, receiving their own endowments, and being able to look up and look down and <laughs> so, oh, is that how the Garden of Eden, the ground in the Garden of Eden looked like? Yeah. Is that how what the sky looked like? We don't even know, you see. We would need additional revelations, even to determine what those things would look like, <laughs> those elements would look like. And uh, so, uh, You know, so you see that the technology is not just used for fun, just because it is there, but it provides us with opportunities to enrich our experience and expand our knowledge, our understanding. So uh, that's how I would uh, uh, address these things. Uh, What seems to be a little unpalatable to some today may become a great blessing for others, Two decades into the future.
0: I have to ask you, has the video been updated since the 50s? Well,
2: oh, yeah, there have been several okay. updates. <laughs> as uh, as if... <laughs> yeah, the the films that I saw when I received my endowment in mm-hmm. 1978 were not the same that you saw when you received yours, and there have been successions. And uh, from time to time, there will be, uh, you know. Uh, tweaks and changes and yeah. so on.
0: I was just wondering, I I haven't been endowed, so I haven't seen it, but I you, wasn't sure. You will,
2: but uh, you can expect that when you are endowed, you will see things that your uh, grandchildren will not. And you will tell them essentially what I just telling you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I receive my grand grandma receive her endowed, you know, it's very different,
1: <laughs> and they go, yeah, whatever, grandma. <laughs> Awesome. That's so interesting. How does a change like that come about? So I mean, I guess in the case it was Gordon B. Hinckley who started like that process with the the videos, but like how does something like that keep changing? How does who is in charge of that?
2: The first presence of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles—they are the ones who uh, make decisions. There may be people in the Temple Department who will make recommendations, but they are the ones who spearhead all these things and uh, approve. Um, in the in the case of the first films, uh, uh, Brother Hinckley was the. record. But uh, uh, what we know today is that he sat down with President David O. McKay uh, in the Salt Lake Temple, and together they worked on a script. Because uh, it is one thing to have the ordinance, uh, you know, being presented by the, the 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 temple workers, but it's another thing. You turn that into a movie script. You need to outline everything. You need to specify everything, how it's gonna look like, or how people are gonna be, how the actors are going to be dressed, mm-hmm. or, uh, how the actors, you know, are going to phrase, you know, or pronounce certain words and so on. And so uh, then, Brother Hinckley, because he was not a general authority at the time, you know, he he was just uh, an employee. Uh, in the corporation of the church. And so uh, they had to uh, uh, organize all these things. And then the first presidency gave the go ahead to go and prepare a, you know, a, 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 the, the film. They looked at it. In fact, they didn't like the first one, so they had it redone. Uh, and, uh, and that's how it started. And this was in preparation for the dedication of the temple in Switzerland was the first temple outside of uh, North America and uh, the first really international temple. Uh, yeah, they had the temple in Canada, but Canada was just a you know neighbor there to <laughs> Idaho and Montana and uh, uh, the, the, the concern was, so we need uniformity there. And so the process is always supervised and spearheaded uh, and uh, uh, supervised very closely. By the first president, according to the twelve apostles, that's the, the information we have, according to a number of studies that have been made in some books and papers and so on.
1: Okay, in different countries, do they have? Do they just translate it?
2: Yeah, the the films are dubbed okay. into multiple languages, and uh, in terms of around the world, you can you can listen in a number of languages. Uh, it was uh, just in Japan a few weeks ago, and my wife and I went to the Fukuoka temple. Uh, although the session was in English, but they had Japanese subtitles. Okay. And uh, if we had gone a little uh, earlier, uh, we would have been in a Japanese session, and they would have given us uh, earphones, and we would have heard the session in English. The same thing happens in temples around the world. You can ask. and. Uh, uh, here in Laia, in Hawaii, uh, they have a couple of dozen languages um, in, uh, available in the Laia Temple. So when people come and they don't speak English, uh, they can request, and, uh, and they'll be giving them some earphones, and they will be able to listen. The engineers will su- select a channel to put the audio of that particular language. And so when we have people, for example, coming from the... Marshall Islands, they can listen in Marshallese. We're always having uh, available in Samoa and Tongan and Spanish and uh, Korean, Japanese, the major language in the Asia-Pacific Rim, plus a few a few others. So uh, it's it's available in a lot of temples they will have that.
1: Awesome. Do you? Uh,
0: oh, sorry. I was just going to kind of change the topic because we okay, talked about technology, ahead. making <laughs> yeah. the church modern, you know. Um, but I also kind of wanted to talk about ministering and the new program that the church has set up. Um, they've gotten rid of visiting teaching and home teaching, and they're mixing the youth in and the women in, and we're all just trying to keep each other together. Yeah? yeah. Is that a good understanding? Yeah, so it is. is that, uh, do you think that's moving towards a more modern idea of, because before women, I mean, we still can't hold the priesthood, but. Before it was, um, I think, home teaching that we couldn't do because we didn't have the priesthood, right? Is that? Well, you did
2: home teaching. You know, you just called visiting teaching. Right. <laughs> it's the same thing, you know.
0: So how but, is ministering different? I guess.
2: Uh, let me tell you. For me, the really significant change from the home teaching, visiting teaching into ministering is not on what's going to be done. It's not on what. But it's on how it's going to be done. And I, I see a lot of discussions in social media. And when I go around and I visit wards and talk to people and so on, and I, and I see a lot of people saying, well, it's basically the same thing, right? are still visiting teachers, still home teaching. They just change the name. And whenever I have a chance to talk to people, like I did in Hiroshima, for example, in, back in Japan, they... Uh, there was a new bishop in one of the wards there, the Hikari Ward, in downtown Hiroshima. And the bishop, uh, in the third hour of the meetings, he uh, combined the Relief Society with the Elder's Quorum, and they were talking about this, and they were saying, well, it's basically the same thing. And so I raised my hand. And there was a brother who translated for me, and I said that the most significant change is not the what, but the how. And at at first, at the foundation of ministering is the coordination that is going to exist between the elders quorum presidency and the Relief Society presidency. Because home teaching was a program on its own. Visiting teaching was a program on its own. In other words, the Relief Society presidency would do their thing The Elders Quorum Presidency and the High Priest Group Leadership, they would do their thing separately. Those were parallel programs. Now, ministry, according to what I have read and according to what I have understood, ministry, you don't have two separate programs, but one single program coordinated between the Elders Quorum Presidency and the Relief Society Presidency. In other words, we are we have now the possibility of having the Relief Society Presidency making recommendations based on the information they have, making recommendations to the Elders Quorum Presidency about companionship, ministering companionships for sisters. The Relief Society Presidency can tell the Elders Quorum Presidency, have you considered Brother so and so and brother so and so as companions to sister so and so, companions to minister to sister so and so. Likewise, it is possible now for the elders quorum presidency, based on the information they have, to make recommendations to the Relief Society presidency. Look, you know, we have a situation here with sister so and so. Would you ponder and pray about, you know, the possibility of having? sister so-and-so and sister so-and-so as ministering companions to this other sister here based on the information we have. Now we have that as a possibility, and this is unprecedented. The idea that the Relief Society Presidency and the Elder Quorum Presidency can work together in shaping this program under the direction of the bishop. Of course, they will come to the bishop, the bishop will bang the gavel on everything. <laughs> and that's what I don't see people talking about. They're talking about, I said, oh yeah, now it's ministering. okay, no more, you know, checking visits. Oh, you don't need to check, you can just text and so on. I said, that's not the biggest change. We could do these things with home teaching before. In fact, we were doing some of these things before. Oh, the, the high priests and the elders now are together in a lot of smaller wards around the world. We already had the elders quorum and the high priest group uh, combined uh, my ward in Rio de Janeiro, where I first served as a bishop, uh, you know, in 1987, uh, we, we had a very uh, small uh, high priest group because a lot of our high priests were serving either uh, uh, on the stake level. My father was a mission president at the time, and, uh, uh, and so we had very few high priests in uh, attending the ward. And so we, we had a high priest meeting with the elders for several years. I uh, I had served as high priest group leader previously uh, in that same ward, uh, but by the time I became the bishop, we didn't have enough uh, high priest to 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 have a separate high priest group. So th- this was not the biggest change, you right. know, the high priest getting together and so on, and in f- home teaching, visiting teaching. The, per- the biggest change was the coordination between the two. Now, also as far as the I said look, the, the how one is the coordination. Also, in the how is the focus on the needs of the people, not so much on a visit. Mm-hmm. If there needs to be a visit, there will be a visit. But if there is no need for a visit, then these ministering companions are going to have to ask, okay, what do they need? And how can we, as ministering companions, provide that? Because, you see, the, the word minister comes really from Latin, ministrati which one of the translations is to supply. So, yeah, it can be to teach, but it can also mean to supply. Supply what? Whatever they need. And so I think that over time, we're going to be focusing a whole lot more on people's needs than on visiting and then putting a check mark and say, done. We, done, we did the visit this month. No, We can be having contact with people on a you know, weekly basis or more, You know, depending on their needs. So this, is, this will be the things that I said, look, this is really the coolest parts and the most significant changes in this move towards ministering.
1: I had a similar question to her. So with um, the new elders quorum set up, cause I went to the, we were both in Utah for this research conference. So we happened to be able to go to general conference. And I went to the priesthood session when they announced that they would be reorganizing the elders quorum. And they, I was kind of confused of, they had three different speakers, I think, address it. And they said it was like, you know, revolutionary. This was very like, this is a historic day. Could you elaborate more on how that's going to change things? Because to me, it seemed like a similar, um, I had a similar question, like why is it such a big deal, I guess, that they would combine the two?
2: Oh, you're probably familiar with the uh, expression, with the, uh, the term generation gap. And right now, we have that. And this move is going to end that as far as our words are concerned. I have no idea. I'm 59 years old uh, right now. I have no idea what life is like for you. You're probably in your 20s. You look good. You look in your 20s. I have no idea what the challenges are, what it feels like to live the life that you have to be. I see the world with the eyes of a 59-year-old man. Now, in my elder elders quorum, okay, I can go and learn from you what your challenges are. What the world looks like to you i will learn something that i can then use in my ministry to others of your age perhaps to my own grandchildren you know i in fact today 17th of may my oldest uh, grandchild my granddaughter is starting 12. i don't know what the challenges are for a teenager today but you are very close through that generation, and I will be able to learn from my from my fellow Melchizedek priesthood holders, who are a lot younger than I, 30-something years younger than I, uh, uh, some of the challenges my granddaughter is going to face as a teenager, and some of the challenges they may come to face as a young adult in just a few years. Likewise, I may also impart to the elders on, on my ward my faith that I said, yeah, even though you have different challenges, the nature of the challenges you, you face uh, uh, may be slightly different or the quality of, you know, the, 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 the types of challenges, better said, the types of challenges you face are different. Well, I, we, we had to face challenges when we were your age, and uh, here's how the Lord blessed us. And by bearing our testimonies to our younger uh, qu- uh, quorum members about how the Lord blessed us, when we, had, when we were their age, this perhaps will increase their faith and their confidence that everything will be okay, everything will be all right. So it will be a strengthening experience and in an in instructive experience for both older high priests and younger elders. But remember, we're speaking here, you know, kind of a typical uh, uh, elders quorum in the United States. Around the world... Uh, things may be very different because uh, uh, in any place around the world, uh, we have a lot of high priests who are about your age. I I was ordained a high priest when I was 22 years old. I hardly had any time uh, spent in an elder's quorum. I was ordained an elder. A few weeks later, I was on a full-time mission. And after my mission, I was briefly there and then uh, uh, got married. And a year later, before my my first child was born, I was a serving as a stake high counselor. I was not in an elder's quorum very very long, and, uh, uh, and and this is still typical in many parts of the world. You have people about your age who are already high priests, and so some of those elder's quorums are going to be you know a different kind of experience because. Uh, they will have some of the older high priests, you know, imparting their wisdom with the younger high priests. But, uh, but here in the United States, uh, that's where the, the, that, that scenario that I was, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, pondering on, uh, that's where we're going to see that. And so everybody's going to learn something and it's going to be strengthened by each other's faith. And we will then get a better picture of what the world is nowadays. From the eyes of those who have lived long, and those who are the rising generation.
1: Interesting. So it seems kind of similar. Yeah. Like we, everybody can learn from the different groups. So. Yeah. The, the
0: unity. Yes. Yeah. And coming. then you
2: diminish that generational gap.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay. Now we may not be able to play basketball the way you do anymore, <laughs> but other than that, yeah, we're going to be, be sort referee. of on the same awesome. page in a lot of things. You know.
0: So even though we're unifying, um, I know that there's been a lot of talk, especially among women, some women think that the, um, that females should be able to receive the ordinance of the priesthood, like by laying on of hands. Do you, do you think that that unity like would ever lead to that or it, because, um, we watched some of your videos where you explained that women have the priesthood. They're just not like ordained yes
2: sense? I have been you know based on my on my studies on the priesthood and I finished uh, last year I finished a, a book manuscript my second book tentatively titled uh, the priesthood um, earthly symbols and heavenly realities I um, uh, in in that book I postulated the a look here's how I see this that um, by definition, found in the Doctrine and Covenants, that the endowment is an endowment of power, that we're endowed with power from on high, I think, well, as far as I can tell, the only power on high is the priesthood. Uh, And and so by that definition in the Doctrine and Covenants, when a faithful Latter-day Saint woman receives her own endowment, she receives power from on high. And there are several elements in the endowment that we cannot discuss here uh, outside of the temple that show that uh, uh, following the pattern that we see in Doctrine and Covenants section 138, that women are clothed with power and authority in the house of the Lord. The difference is that uh, they are not ordained to an office in the priesthood. but. my understanding is that, uh, yes, women receive the priesthood when they receive their temple ordinances, uh, their endowments, their own endowments. So let's be very clear here, because uh, you know my granddaughter is going to enter the temple and, and be baptized for, for the dead for the first time. That's a temple oh. ordinance, but that's not what we're talking about. What I'm talking about is the ordinances that constitute the temple endowment. And so uh, when you receive your endowment in the future. You will come out of the temple wearing the garment, which is a symbol of priesthood, and you will then hold both the Aaronic and the Melchizedek priesthood. Now, we don't use this language uh, in our sacrament meetings and Sunday schools because it's a very bold language. But, you know, we're not in a Sunday school nor a sacred <laughs> meeting in this recording. So, uh, and, uh, and that's what I say in my classes. Look, this is not Sunday school. This is not seminary. This is not sacrament meeting. It's a university <laughs> class on religion. So here it is, you know, based on my, re- my research, my studies, and my understanding, this is it. Okay, now go pray about it and see if you feel that what I'm telling is true. I certainly feel that it is. So that sister... comes out of the temple like you will someday uh, she holds both priesthoods but she cannot sit in the sacrament table and bless the sacrament because even though she holds the Aaronic priesthood she was not ordained to the office of a priest. She cannot lay hands to heal the sick or confirm a member, a person member of the church because even though she holds the Melchizedek priesthood she was not ordained an elder. But on the other hand I often remind people that the temple is not the church. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints builds and maintains temples. But temples are regulated by completely different standards and 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 and, and the procedures, operating procedures than our meeting houses. So in our meeting houses women do not officiate ordinances of the priesthood but in the temple in the house of the lord if they are approved by their bishops and stake presidents and and they are approved and set apart by the uh, temple presidency they can perform some of the priesthood ordinances so if uh, If you have a friend that said, oh, gee, I would love to be able to, you know, as a woman, to lay hands and, uh," okay, just tell her, okay, you know, talk to your bishop, tell him that you would (laughs) love to be an ordinance worker in the temple. You will be able to do that. Rightfully, uh, with a proper authority, and it's going to be really a wonderful uh, experience to do that. So... uh, 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 and that's where, going back to that uh, idea of the, the ministry, you see then why I'm so excited about it, because now we're having Elder quorum Presidency and Relief Society Presidents coming together as people who have been endowed with power from on high, who are equals in the work of the ministry, because they were both endowed with the same power from on high. And so uh, uh, so this is what I have been uh, postulating in my classes and some of my lectures and firesides and so on. And um, I know that there are some people who are gonna say, no, 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 you gotta be wrong about this. And so, okay, let's wait 20 years. <laughs> 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 and let's see if this is really, but I know it is very bold language. In fact, I'm having a problem, you know, getting the book published because there are some publishers who are looking at that and say, hey, you know, I don't know if we can publish that, you know, we put our name behind this. You know? That's a, Those are great ideas, but, uh... and so they're scratching themselves and they're mm-hmm. scratching their head and said, I don't know if we can put our, you know, our brand name behind this. Instead of okay, fine. I'll find somebody who's <laughs> courageous enough to say, okay, we're going to go ahead with this thing here, and you know, it's publish and if uh, his head falls, well, it's some, <laughs> it's an responsibility. But, but I, I feel confident that, uh, in the interpretation that I have made of these things, and so we'll, we'll see.
1: Have you faced any criticism from, like, not just from students and not from publishers? I mean, have any, like, church authorities, like, heard about this or do you think that this could happen after you publish it?
2: Uh, I know that some of them do know, but you see uh, general authorities or area 70s, they usually will not comment on people's writings or anything unless it is something really apostate. So my expectation is that when my book hits the bookstores they're just going to say, "Well, uh, Brother Martínez is entitled to his interpretation, <laughs> and we have no comment." That's what I'm expecting they're going to say. And I think this is the proper way for them to respond. I don't. I never ask. In fact, uh, we have instructions about that. Uh, uh, you know that we should not ask general authorities to endorse writings and books and so on. And. Uh, but I myself, you know, I, I, I would never ask that. And uh, uh, um, so my expectation that this is this is what's going to be. It. They're going to say, well, Robert Martin is certainly entitled to his opinion. It's his interpretation. It's his research. Good for him. Uh, we have no comment. <laughs> Unless somebody sees something that, no, this is problematic, and they're going to correct me. And they'll probably do that through my stake president or my bishop. But... I don't expect that this is going to be the case.
0: Awesome. Well, I think that that's our time for now. Um, Cool.
2: Yeah, I was just getting warmed up. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have anything else you
1: want to add? Yeah.
2: Well, thank you very much for this opportunity. (laughs) I really appreciate, and I hope our... Uh, those who are listening to this podcast, if they have additional questions, you can always find me online somewhere.
0: Okay. You have um, a website, right?
2: I have a website, and I do uh, firesides online as well. In fact, I've done it in fireside. I've spoken in steak firesides in, in Brazil and in Mongolia without leaving Laia. So so yeah. uh, people will always be able to get a hold of me, and if uh, if they want my services, I'm always available.
0: All right. And what's your book called, one more time? So. Uh,
2: well, the tentative title, tentative. I don't know if the publisher uh, <laughs> will change it. It's The Priesthood, uh, Earthly Symbols and Heavenly Realities.
0: Okay.
1: Great. And you can follow your work on YouTube? I have some
2: videos on YouTube, most of them in Portuguese, but I have a few in English also with some answers to doctrinal questions, and uh, it's all accessible from my uh, homepage on the BYU website, BYU Hawaii website. Just Google my name. There's going to be a link at Zine page. There is even a, a, a Wikipedia entry on me. So, so we'll be able That's to
0: find awesome. you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's how There's you have made it. It's like the life goal is try to get a Wikipedia page. Yeah. <laughs> That's super funny. Well, Dr. Marcus Martins, thanks for coming on.
0: Thanks for tuning in. This was the Zeno Podcast. You can stay updated by following our Facebook and Instagram pages at Zeno Podcast.
1: This podcast was brought to you by BYU Hawaii's Reading Writing Center.
0: You can also find us on YouTube or iTunes or by searching Xeno Podcast. That's X-E-N-O Podcast.
1: If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at podcastxeno at gmail.com.
0: Thanks for learning by listening.